And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Do you ever dream of starting something game-changing? Then Visa can help make it happen. Maybe it's creating and selling your own customized kicks for cats, or transforming your dorm into a plushy pop-up shop, or finally going mainstream with your streaming side hustle. The NFL is full of game changers. Just think about watching Patrick Mahomes during his MVP season and knowing as you watched every single game that the league was never going to be the same. Whatever you're bold enough to try, Visa has the power to help bring your game-changing ideas to life. Visa. Anyone can change the game. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Monday, September 5th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today from Football Outsiders, Derek Klassen. Derek, how you doing, man? Doing good. You know, first time, long time. Feels good. I have... Uh, I can't believe it took this long to get you on the show. I feel really bad about that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, at least we're here. You know, at least we're here now. So everything is, is a-okay. So we're getting to the end of the division previews here. I, I want to lay this out for people because I want them to know that I did not put you in this position. When we were talking about having you on the show to do one of these, I presented you with multiple options for which division that you could do, and you chose the AFC South of your own volition. Explain yourself. I mean, l- listen, somebody has to dive into into the garbage cans, and I'm perfectly fine doing that. Um, because listen, I've, pr- I've dove into the garbage cans of content multiple times. Like I chart like 10 quarterback prospects every year. There's never more than five that matter. So I'm charting five <laughs> morons. So I'm very used to the garbage cans. So this is like home to me. You taking this on uh, is much appreciated because someone had to. And the fact that you were so willing, it means a lot to us. Let's start with a team that is probably worth watching in this division. And that's the Indianapolis Colts. We've kicked all of these off each team. Essentially, the vibe check, how we feeling a couple days before the season starts. So how are you feeling about the Indianapolis Colts about three days before we kick this thing off? Uh, hopeful. 
I, I really like this team. Um, I have I've been a Matt Ryan guy for like the longest. Um, <laughs> so especially like the past few years, because I feel like people kind of forgot how good he was, which is easy because over the past like two years, it was really watching the Falcons. Um, and obviously, like their offense did fall off after the, the Shanahan thing. But Matt Ryan is still a very good quarterback, and I've also long time been a Frank Wright guy. And I know both you and Nate are big Frank Wright guys, so I'm, I'm not really, you know, diving into new territory there. But I just feel like the offensive pairing is is incredible. Um, and I think the defense, you know, losing Matt Eberflus does stink in, in some regard. But, like, I think the defense is still going to be fine. So I still think this is a really good team, and the, pretty much the, the other big team in the division got worse so i don't know I, I have a lot of reason to feel good about them yeah we're on the same page uh, this is a lot the offense looks a lot like it did last season except we're off the carson coaster which yeah, except is there's a, a good a human quarterback now. yeah and, and a reliable quarterback <laughs> you know talking to people there i think you just feel the lack of tension in their shoulders without having to worry about the guy that they're paying the most money of anybody on the team both from a personality standpoint from a structural standpoint everything uh, this has just been a slow heartbeat of, of a training camp for this team in a way that it was not last year, and especially as we got into the season. So I think that is a huge part of that. The weapons are just better. I mean, they're a year older. I think they have more pass-catching options than they did last season. You know, Alec Pierce just gives you hopefully something that T.Y. Hilton couldn't. They were going to see Naheem Hines back again because we have a quarterback who is functionally able to throw to a running back within the structure of an offense, which is certainly helpful. And I think they're better on defense. You know, getting Ngakwe in there and Quiddy Pay in year two and bringing Stephon Gilmore in. I'm glad to hear you say this because occasionally I get distracted by how much I like the Colts and I want to make sure that I don't have a blind spot that's just completely shielding me from reality. But the fact that you're excited about them too makes me feel a little bit better. Let's get to... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say too, like the last thing with Matt Ryan, or not the last thing, we're going to probably going to talk about him a lot. But with the stability, I think his stability, particularly with handling the pocket, is important because I think if there is one area this team might be worse, it's the offensive line. Yeah. I think there are a couple of shaky spots there. But there aren't many guys who handle the pocket and get the ball out when they need to better than Matt Ryan, as opposed to Carson Wentz. This could have been a lot worse if Carson Wentz was the starting quarterback again on this team. <laughs> Listen, Matt Ryan is used to dealing with crumbling pockets. And even if we're <laughs> concerned about the state of the current Colts offensive line, it is significantly better than what Jaylen he dealt Mayfield's with last not year. Out there. The upgrade from Jalen Mayfield to Quentin Nelson as your left guard is about as big of a jump as you can make from one player to another in the NFL. So that is definitely a step in the right direction for Matt Ryan. We've been doing the biggest question that we have about the offense and the defense for each of these teams. So why don't you kick us off here? What's the biggest question you have about the Colts offense heading into the season? So it's kind of both about their pass catchers, but one is like, how are the how are the receptions going to be distributed? How are the targets going to be distributed? Because I think Michael Pittman is very good, but I do have some reservations about him being like a true, you feed him all the time type of guy. That's so interesting because I was excited about him potentially being that guy. What are your reservations? I just kind of worry about him being able to get open consistently enough, okay. um, especially as like a burner if they're going to need that. And I know Pierce can kind of do enough of that, especially like if they want to run a ton of slot fades, which uh, I think the Frank Reich offense has been able to do at times. Um, so it's kind of just that. It's not that he can't do it. I think he could absolutely take the next step. It's just I would like to see a guy if you're going to feed him like a true. And when I say a, a true number one, I mean like into just like the top, 
ten, eight, like ten of receivers. That's kind of what I'm worried about. I still think he can be, be a very good, like, you know, he will still be the best pass, pass catcher on the team. I just do wonder about what the ceiling is when this guy is your pass your number one pass catcher. I really hope he can take that step. I like him as a player. I don't have the same concerns that you do. I feel like if we just have him unlocked with a real quarterback that can consistently get him ball, he can be one of those types of guys. And I think the way it fits with the other players that they have is really interesting. You know, they love Ashton Doolin. I know that seems silly and everyone does that at this time of the year, but there the reviews about Ashton Doolin is like their fourth receiver have been very, very strong. And the reason that's important is we, every single time we talk about Paris Campbell, it's how many games are you going to get out of Paris Campbell? So even if he gets hurt, I think they have faith in Doolin being able to step in and be like a comp, like an actually competent third receiver on this team. So that that's a big part of it. And then the way the backs fit together, like I just think that Matt Ryan is this is the big Lebowski and he's the rug that brings the room together. Like I just we couldn't appreciate what this group of players was together last season because of the quarterback play. And now you add Alec Pierce to the mix, who, again, I think has a complementary skill set to the ones that already exist on this team. And I just want to see it. I am bummed about Drew Ogletree. They loved him. He was going to start, I think, for this team. If he played, I feel like they were going to be a really heavy 12 personnel team with Mo Cox and Ogletree. Now I think that... We're going to twist it a little bit further toward being an 11-base team and having three receivers on the field. But even with that injury, I still think this can be a pretty good group. I still think they're going to be really good overall. I guess more of my concern is like if Pittman is the one, I just don't know if they can be like a top seven offense is really my concern. Um, What I will say, though, is to kind of like fight back against myself, if there is a quarterback that can alleviate some separation concerns, it's going to be Matt Ryan because the way he anticipates and places the ball if you only have a, a quarter of a step on a guy, Matt Ryan is going to place the ball and get you the ball. And I, I do trust Pittman a lot. Like if the ball's in his area, he's going to find it and he's going to be able to bring it in. Um, and then with the backs, like like you said, Carson Wentz was not checking down. He was not a guy who wanted backs to be split out to the sideline where they can do a bunch of stuff and empty and stuff like that. Matt Ryan can unlock all of that stuff. And if they even want to lean into more, um, you know, two back stuff with both Taylor and Hines on the field to, you know, kind of alleviate the ability to not go into 12. I think that's absolutely something they can do. And I want to see them do it because just in terms of formational and personnel variety, I really don't think anybody is better than Reich. Like Reich is the dude to make one play packaged eight different ways. And the defense just has nothing to do about it. Um, and so that is kind of the, the exciting part. I really, really trust the floor of the offense. Just kind of want to see the ceiling in action. It's a, it's a very good way to put it. And also the verb you used with Matt Ryan was unlock. And I think that's exactly right. And you look at the two quarterbacks they've had last. You know, Wentz isn't unlocking much. He's very limited <laughs> in what they could do. And they really had to put him in a box. And it's like, all right, when we use play action and we try to limit the amount of impact that you can have on the game. We can survive as a passing offense. River, I love Philip Rivers. With with all of my soul, I love Philip Rivers. Oh, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> at, at that stage of his career, though, Philip Rivers couldn't do much. You're in the shotgun, and Philip Rivers is a statue, and that's how you have to run your offense. Even at 36, 37 years old, Matt Ryan can still move around. So there is a way to kind of have the reliable veteran quarterback play that they had with Philip Rivers and the I can move around as a quarterback stuff that Carson Wentz could do. So I think we're going to see a version of this offense that we couldn't over the last couple of years, really since Andrew Luck was there. And that's a really exciting proposition to me. 
That is exactly what I wrote um, maybe a couple of months ago this summer. Because like you said, Rivers had to be in gun. He's not a guy who could do a lot of the drop back under center stuff anymore, especially not, you know, if you're going to roll him out. Whereas Wentz could do some of that stuff, but like he just is kind of incompetent generally. Um, <laughs> whereas like Ryan really bridges together both of the best parts, I think, of like the last three years of, of Reich offense. Like he blends together everything that I think we kind of saw from that last year of Andrew Luck, where he didn't quite have all the arm strength, not as much athleticism as he used to have, but was still a very good, anticipatory, smart quarterback. I think Ryan brings most of, of what Luck did at that point. Anticipatory is such a huge thing with me and Pittman, too, just because I think mm-hmm. he was monster after the catch late in that rookie season oh, with yeah. Rivers. I mean, you get him the ball in space and some of those crossers, and he can really take it. And having that element be back in play because Matt Ryan can actually place the ball in the middle of the field, I'm looking forward to that. You mentioned it. I think it's absolutely worth bringing up. The offensive line is a question. Matt Pryor is a starting left tackle on this team. Bernard Raymond, I don't think, is going to be able to beat him out before the season starts. I think that would have been more of a luxury than something that you'd anticipate from a third-round pick. Danny Pinter is this team's starting right guard with Mark Lewinsky moving on. I know that's not exciting, and from left to right, it's not as dominant or as prominent of a group as it was when they had bigger names. This offensive line wasn't very good last year. They were banged up. They didn't get very good play from their left tackle as a pass protector. So I do think even if there are some concerns about the personnel, I'm not sure performance-wise this group is going to be much worse off from where it was a year ago. I agree. I don't think it's going to sink the offense. And like we said earlier, like if you're going to get a guy in to really alleviate some of uh, the offensive line concerns, particularly in pass protection, it's going to be Matt Ryan. So like maybe they get a little worse on the ground a little bit, but like you also have probably the best running back in the league. He's going to give you answers and it doesn't matter. So I think they're between having Taylor and Ryan, who are both going to make the offensive line look better than it is, even if it's the 20th best offensive line, they can bring it up to 14 or, or whatever, something like that. Having a home run hitter like Jonathan Taylor is, is just such an advantage for an offense because that's where you worry about having a running game, right? If you're going to pound the ball away, it's about having a low ceiling with those plays. And there are a couple different teams that I think kind of extend beyond that. And it's the Browns and the Colts. And it's because of the fact that anytime your running back touches the ball, he can take it 60 yards. And that element just isn't something that most running games in the NFL have. So beyond the down-to-down efficiency, being able to consistently create explosive plays with the guy that you're handing the ball to is a pretty big luxury in this day and age. Exactly. And I think that's why those teams in particular actually, and I'll link Tennessee in here too, like those teams have to run the ball because that's their explosive play guy. Their best guy to do it is Taylor, Chubb, Henry. So of course you have to run the ball and give those guys chances to do it. It sucks because running generally obviously is less efficient than passing the ball. But if you have no other way to get explosives, like give the best player in the at his position the ball. Yeah, and then that's how they think about it, too. You think about some of those. It's funny that trying to square the, the, the Browns and some of the decisions that they make where, all right, it's second and 10, and we're running the ball, and we're supposedly this analytically forward organization, but that can be a 25-yard run every time yeah, they do it. Yeah, he can get you 20. Yeah, like. <laughs> that's the problem. And so I understand that it, it feels disjointed, but I do think that drives some of the decision-making. Biggest question about the Colts' defense. What do you got for me? So to me, it's kind of about how are the linebackers going to adjust to this defense? Um, because other parts of the defense, I, I feel good about what they've got at pass rushers. Uh, I feel good about what they have at defensive line, the cornerbacks. I think they obviously upgraded um, 
But the linebackers, it seems like they're switching spots. Den, uh, they're, uh, Shaquille Leonard used to be the will. He's moving to Mike um, in the new defense. And I'm kind of just curious to see how that goes. Um, I don't think he can't do it. I, I'm just really curious to see um, how it works out for him. Because to me, I think Leonard is a very good player. I don't quite think he's actually in the super elite category of linebackers. I think he's like the top guy in the second tier. Um, that's probably a, like a stylistic thing because I think my biggest issue with him is the way he takes on blocks and I think fights in between the tackles can be a little bit up and down. And so if they're putting him at Mike now, you're going to have to do that a lot more. So I'm just a little bit curious um, how that's going to work out for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, we just kind of pencil him in as a super elite player, but there is going to be a little bit of a transition here. And that's my question. I mean, what does the transition ultimately look like? They've been really solid under Eberflus. And the shift that they're making does make sense given their personnel, right? There aren't that many teams in the NFL now that are even front, zone heavy. This is who we're going to be teams. We're not going to bring a lot of pressure. We're going to be pretty vanilla. And with the Colts, they, or with me, they played a bunch of different stuff on the back end. Now they won't be. But I do yeah. <laughs> think that the the baseline principles and the skeleton of your offense is similar enough that I can understand wanting to jump to Bradley from Eberflus based on the options that were available. We know what Gus Bradley is at this point, right? They blitzed 10% of the time last year with the Raiders. No other team in the league was below 16 they I was play- just about to ask if that was the lowest because, I mean, it had to be. <laughs> yeah, but by far the lowest in the league. They played 404 snaps of cover three, according to True Media. No one else in the NFL was above 314, which is just amazing. They were 30th in the number of early down runs that they had with light boxes. I mean, this is all stuff that we know. Like, this is who Gus Bradley is. The Raiders still finished 15th in weighted DVOA on defense last season. They were better than people realize. The floor is kind of high. The ceiling may be limited, but the floor is also pretty high. One of the criticisms of this style of defense, since the Seahawks ran it, and this is really the last gasp of people doing this, is what does it look like without elite players? The Colts have got pretty good players, man. Like At every level of the defense, they've got pretty good players. Their front... With Ngakwe and Buckner and Quiddy Pay in year two, I think is going to be pretty good. And they'll tell you in Indianapolis, this is the best secondary they've had since Frank Wright got there. They have Stephon Gilmore now. Julian Blackman is a good player. Nick Cross, the guy they drafted in the third round, is going to start for him. I think they're pretty excited about him. So I'm more bullish on this team than I thought I would be when they hired Gus Bradley. I guess that's what I would say. I kind of am too. And I I think really what we're going to see more of is just, I think the Gus Bradley defense is just a little more volatile because I actually looked this up on, on uh, SIS's data and last year, the Raiders, uh, you know, Gus Bradley's defense, they were fifth in what is called boom percentage, which is like a play by the offense earned at least one EPA. So they were fifth. They gave up a lot of huge plays uh, on the ground. I mean, um, and they were, but they were also third in bus percentage, which is good for the defense because it means the offense had a negative one EPA play. The Colts, by on the other hand, were 15th in boom and 20th in bus. So they were more of like this stable. We're trying to control everything, play top down. You're not going to get explosives. We're okay with you playing five yards at a time. 
Ghost Bradley is a, a, a gash or be gash defense, as, as you guys like to Which say. Which to do show. that is not blitz. Do. To do that when you don't blitz is amazing. It's incredible, actually. And, and I think what we're going to see and why I was so curious about the linebackers is because under Eberflus, one, it seemed they had a very clear intention to not bite on play action as hard and to try to, like I said, play top down. That Definitive coaching point. No one in the league at exactly. linebacker, but bit less on play action over the last two years than the Colts. It drove the Titans offensive coaching staff insane. <laughs> <laughs> and I think even more than just the coaching point, like just the way sometimes they played their fronts, you were going to have a linebacker who didn't have to. Like they would do a yeah. lot of what I have seen called double rotating, where you have your three tech and then you rotate the safety down to your three tech. So you've got all your bodies to that side. What happens is if the offense is going to run strong or show run action strong, your will on the back end, he doesn't have a run responsibility until the play cuts back. So he doesn't have to bite on the run. That's not happening under Gus Bradley. They're trying to space everything out evenly. They want everyone in a gap. They are not going to give you, or they are going to try to penetrate every gap and get an explosive play. So I think that's the real big difference. And that can be rough when you don't have the players, but like they've got the players, man. They have, one of the best defensive tackle uh, duos in the league, like DeForest Buckner, obviously a star. There aren't many better noses than Grover Stewart. That and dude they fit is a monster. so well together. Like the, oh, the, yeah. how well it, they the, like those two pieces together. It's exactly what you want in terms of a combination. I we're getting too excited about the Colts now. I'm getting a little bit worried. <laughs> I, I've been trying to stop myself too, but it's I hard. I was hoping you were going to. I was hoping that was the role you were going to play as part of this conversation. And you're really the screwing reason me I here. picked this conference is so that I could do this. So. <laughs> All right, successful season for the Indianapolis Colts. What does it look like? We've been doing this for everybody. I think a successful season is winning the division. You, ha- you have to win the division. You have to. <laughs> like winning the division and then probably winning a playoff game. Um, because two of the teams in the division, I think, have no shot at winning it, obviously. And then the Titans, you know, we'll get to them. I, If they win it, I think it would be an upset. So I think the Colts have to win the division and then hopefully win a playoff game. I think that's a successful season because... I don't think they should be in a rush to like win everything this year. Matt Ryan is not only this isn't a one year rental like Rivers um, or Wentz. I, I think Ryan is here for at least probably two or three years. So I think if they show a good baseline, show that this is something that can work, I would feel good about the season. Yeah. And that's a, a conversation for further down the road. I think there's part of me that looks at the Matt Ryan thing and thinks, can they win a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan? Maybe. Maybe next year after you you build one more year and you have a couple more pieces that you can add. I don't think this team is ready to win one. And if you can't, then what are you doing with Matt Ryan? Aren't you kind of spinning your wheels? But I think that there's value in, like, let's say you win 11 games this year. Let's say you win 10 or 11 games next year. You're a playoff team both of those years. Matt Ryan's like, you know what? Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You step into the 2024 offseason and you've been a relevant team. You've been a winning team. Matt Ryan had a very good experience with Frank Reich in Indianapolis. You have Frank Reich, which based on what I've heard is a pretty big selling point for any quarterback that wants to come to town. Guys want to play for him. There's value in that. I think part of it does feel like you're running in place a little bit, but I really do think that there is some value in trying to do it the way that they're doing it. And there's value in just like competing. I really just don't like the idea of tanking. Like sometimes you do end up where you're just backed in a corner and that's really your only option. But I think generally, just like compete and try to be good. Give yourself a chance. Because sometimes if you get to the playoffs, man, shit happens. The Bengals made the Super Bowl. 
They should not have done that. Like, the, I don't think the Colts going into this year look like a worse team than the Bengals did going into last year. So, like, it's not that outlandish. Like, I guess I wouldn't bet on it, but yeah, I, don't I, think I just think the crazy. young quarterback part of it and just the yeah, that does change the it. wiggle room that it gives you when you have a guy that can take that big of a step. I think that's the kind of underlying factor that's important there. But I, I'm yeah. with you to a certain extent. I just think they have to win the division. If the Titans oh. win the division, <laughs> Mike Vrabel is the coach of the year. I don't give a shit what else happened. We'll get to the Titans in a second. But I, the Colts have to win this division this year. Who is one guy on the Colts that you cannot wait to watch this year? Uh, I mean, besides Matt Ryan, obviously, um, I think it's going to be Quidipe. I-, I think I really want to see him take the next step because I think he had a nice rookie season, but not quite to the, the, the degree where I was like, wow, they have a, a surefire stud. This is going to be the guy. So I just kind of want to see him take the next step. I do think he can, one, because he's obviously talented, but also if any DC is going to just let their edge pin their ears back. It is Gus Bradley. And so he's going to get his chances to get to the quarterback. So I really just kind of want to see him capitalize on it. I'm going with Pittman. I'm just, maybe it's because I've heavily invested in him in keeper fantasy leagues and I just need this to happen for all of my life to come (laughs) together. But I really think he has a chance to be an awesome player and I want to see him truly unlocked. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Tennessee Titans. How are we feeling about the Tennessee Titans three days before the season starts? Mostly concerned. I'm a little nervous, (laughs) Uh, man. Yeah, I'm a little... I feel like... After the draft, I was like, I don't know if I love this team, but like, they'll probably be fine. Closer we get to the season, I'm like, this might not be fine, man. <laughs> like, they have a lot of, I like, they have some really good pieces, obviously, but I think where they're bad, they are like, oh no, type of bad. And I think that could absolutely ruin the season for them. What's the best? Okay, let Derek Henry aside, okay? Running back, great. You know, he, he does good for, for what they need him to be, and we can get to some of that. 
What is the best position group on the Tennessee Titans offense outside of Derrick Henry in the running back room? Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, quarterback feels like a cop-out. <laughs> um, that's probably the answer. Ryan Tannehill, yeah, that's, that's probably, probably the, the answer. answer. And at least, like, you have a maybe interesting backup in Willis. Like, that's so, really all I got. So the quarterback the room is the second best be position, good. right? And they are right. actively looking for alternatives to their quarterback. Exactly. <laughs> so that's all you need to know about this team. We've got, I, I'm with you. The decisions that they made and the sequencing that has happened. All right. We are worried about A.J. Brown long-term health. With the market is going to explode. We have guys like Jeffrey Simmons potentially coming up for extensions. We've really stretched ourselves financially over the last couple of years. We don't think this is something that we can do. Not a decision I would have made. I think A.J. Brown's very good. I can get how you, you arrived at that moment. You draft Traylon Burks, you have him come in, and it's been a little bit weird, and that's messy, and I think that's part of why we don't feel great about this team, even if it shouldn't be that prominent in our minds, but whatever. But then you look at just everything that the offense is. The offensive line used to be a strength. It used to be one of the best offensive lines in the league. Now it is definitively a weakness. Taylor Lewan hopefully will be better that second season off of the ACL, but he has he not been not good last year. He's not been as good over the last couple of years, and I think that that's worth talking about. They have a rookie right tackle starting. The second round, the guy that drafted in the second round last year has been completely relegated to non-existence within their depth chart. Aaron Brewer stepping in for Roger Saffold. That's another new starter. So a ton more questions at that spot than we typically think about with this team. And Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Akina are the starting receivers on this team. I like Robert Woods, but that seems like a concern. I like Robert Woods. I don't like Robert Woods in 2022 being my best receiver by a mile. Not even just best receiver, best pass catcher by a mile. Because, I mean, who's their tight end? Is it it's Austin, Austin Hooper. Hooper. The fact that you he's, don't know is so <laughs> important here. <laughs> and he's like, fine. but He's like, fine. Yeah, he's like, fine. But then also, they're not going to get much in the passing game from their running backs. I love Derrick Henry. He's an incredible runner. He's not a pass catcher like that. You can maybe get him on some screens, but, like, he's not going to give you a whole lot other than that. So, like, when Robert Woods is very clearly your number one guy, especially in that particular offense, I just don't understand how this is supposed to work very well. I, I'm not trying to shit all over the Titans here. We should have known this was coming, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that we should have leaned more into the this is a step back mindset when they traded A.J. Brown. This is a moment of transition for this team. There is absolutely a scenario where they move on from Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry after the season, and we have completely turned the page on this offense under Mike Vrabel. And in the meantime, I think it can be a little bit messy, and that's not necessarily an indictment on who this team is going to be a year from now, two years from now, all of that. So I think that's, I want to like drill down on that because I think we're being a little bit harsh, but we probably should have known it was going to get worse before it was going to get better. And I don't think it's an indictment of what they tried to do yes, either, even agreed. though it hasn't worked. Like, sure, Ryan Tannehill is not the greatest quarterback, but in the situation, considering how they got him, considering what their other options were, you have to pay him. And they structured a good offense around him, like having Corey Davis and A.J. Brown the way that they did, making that offense work. Even the Julio bet last year. Exactly. They did good stuff. It's They just didn't get to the finish line. And that happens. Yeah. A lot of good teams don't. So it's just what is what it is. It's hard to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Biggest question about the offense. What do you got? We, we kind of touched on some of it, but is there anything else that you got banging around? 
I mean, I think we kind of just hit on it. It's just like, who the hell is catching passes? Because, like, you know, Woods is going to be the number one. Kind of sucks that he has to be your number one uh, in, in 2022. But, like, Westbrook Akina is, like, or is not really a starting NFL receiver. Um, He's fine if you need him in a pinch. Like, if he was your four and has to come off the bench, perfectly fine. Which he has he's been for times at the, for them. Right. And he was last year. That's basically kind of what it was. And it was like, okay, this is serviceable. He got them to where they needed to be. Um, but I don't like him as a week one starter. And then Burks, I have no idea what to do with that because like, so like when Chase struggled in the preseason, this is very different than that. It was so different because like he was simply dropping passes, but it was like, if you watch him in college, that was never a concern. Everyone in Cincinnati was like, don't worry about it. He's going to be fine with Burks. It's like, I'm not sure they like him. And also he had conditioning issues. So like, it just seems like he might not be ready at all. So I don't know what they're going to get from him. And then the other thing with Burks is I think they thought he was supposed to be this instant AJ Brown replacement. And if you look at them, they look like he looks like he could be. If you watch what he did in Arkansas, I really don't think that he's that kind of player. AJ Brown was a slot receiver in college. Yeah. (laughs) Like like AJ Brown's ability to like... He was a legit receiver. But AJ Brown's ability to like function in nuanced ways as a receiver early on in his career is underrated because we just think of him as this this big monster yak guy which is what he was early on but he could actually play receiver and Traylon Burks has never shown that he can do that also they're very different athletes AJ Brown is sent from the future AJ Brown is like carved out of granite Traylon Burks is not and all of this stuff I I think we've forgotten it when they tried to make that one-for-one move that the Vikings tried to do with Justin Jefferson and Stephon Dix Exactly. And then, like, what is their other... What is the potential, like, maybe this thing can save us? Like, Kyle Phillips out of the slot? Listen. Like, he seemed okay in preseason, but, like, come on. Like, they, there's not even, like, an interesting maybe this works type of thing with them is, is the other problem. Well, you'd assume that it would be how can, how far can we ride this Derrick Henry-led formula. Right. And I don't know how far you can ride it. Last year, he finished 49th in success rate among qualified running backs. He was 24th in EPA per carry. He had 36.5% of his carries against eight or more guys in the box, which is a pretty big uptick from the year before. Dante Foreman was number one at 46%. Okay? Dante Foreman, who played for this team. What happened when Dante Foreman was the star? I just put two fingers in the air like I'm Brian Windhorst, by the way. That's just, I'm really, really losing it. We've done way too many of these. Dante Foreman's time as the starting running back for this team overlapped with when A.J. Brown was out and Julio Jones was banged up and they had no receivers. Guess what? That's just life now. So I'd have to assume that those are the scenarios that they are going to face down in and down out from the start of this season. If you're sitting there looking at eight guys in the box on every single play, how far can the running game take you? And do you have the pass catchers to make people pay? I think the answer to that is no. Exactly. I, I don't even have anything to add there. That's exactly where I'm at with them. Biggest question about the defense. Okay. A week ago, I would have had a different one. Now that Harold Landry is hurt, who is coming off the edge? Yeah, it sucks. They don't have anyone now. Like, Bud, Bud Dupree, Dupree and Danico Autry are just so different. Like, Danico Autry is just such yeah. a different sort and of player Autry's than Harold Landry. Almost not even like an edge. Autry is like a weird, almost like. Yeah, he was like 280 pounds. Yeah, exactly. He's not like any type of, of speed guy. So, like, they have Autry, who I think is a good player. Um, Bud Dupree should be better, but also is like, to me, more of a run defender when he's really on, yeah. on his game. And then their third guy is like, 
I think Adeniji, who was like the fifth guy in Pittsburgh for three years, like they just don't have anybody else um, that is going to be able to do this. So one, I think going into week one, they're already rough off the edge. And if anything happens to these edge guys, they're going to have problems. Yeah, they're really light, light there. I, I was really excited about this defense. You know, I thought they played really well last season. They finished 12th in defensive DVOA, despite being 20th in adjusted games lost on that side of the ball. And the secondary has pieces that really excited about like i think that christian fulton is a really good player i thought that molden did so many things for them last year and just the structure of the defense and how they pivoted last season two years ago this was a new england tinge sort of defense they played a lot of single high and they played a lot of man coverage they didn't do any of that last year they're fifth in the nfl at the rate of two high shells that they used they ran more simulated pressures i think than any other team in the nfl they had the third highest light box rate in the entire nfl and the, the structure that they had with some of the pieces that they had on the back end and the flexibility that they had up front, it led to a pretty cool product, one that I really wasn't expecting coming into last season at all. And I think losing Landry, you lose some of that flexibility. I do want to see how the secondary shakes out. Like what happens with Farley and McCreary on the other side of Fulton, you know, Molden still being that blitzer nickel spot for them. The safeties are really good. How do they get Zach Cunningham off the field on third down, I think is a question. But I think losing Landry, you lose a pretty big pivot point about what this offense is at its core or defense, excuse me. Yeah, like I think a lot of what they did up front, both really in the run and the pass game, I thought was really interesting. Because like you said, with the pass game, they did really well at bringing a lot of Sims. And I think when you have a young secondary that needs a little bit of help, I think doing a lot of those simulateds and just making the quarterback think for an extra quarter of a second, it really helps a lot of those young guys out and gives them a little bit more of a cushion. And then I think in the run game, their linebackers were solid, but I think they really helped them out a lot with the way that they continue to like stunt the front mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. Like they really gave those linebackers a lot of free runs. And I think that was really important. So I think they can still continue to do that. It's just, you know, how much pressure are they going to be able to generate? I think is the biggest issue. You got to hope that Jeffrey Simmons is just a monster. I mean, just kind of yeah. continues <laughs> that he, progression he and, and really does truly ascend to being like one of the best five or so defensive players in the entire league. If that happens then losing Landry matters a little bit less, I will say even with questions about Landry and even with, you know, how does the cornerback spot shake out? I'm excited to watch what they are what they are on defense. I genuinely enjoyed watching them as I dug into it at times last season before the playoffs. I think that Shane Bowen did a really good job, and he's just one of those guys. I'm excited to see what happens next. Talking to multiple you know defensive coaches over the last month or so, the Titans and some of the ideas they brought to the table last year came up, and they just have become one of those units. Like, all right, I'm watching. I'm, I'm watching to see what you guys are up to. 100%. A successful season for the Titans. Right, good luck with this one. <laughs> so to me, it, it's not about wins and losses to me at this point. Like, I just don't think this is a meaningfully competitive team. So to me, I think because they're very clearly in this transition period, it's just about making, hoping that a lot of your young guys look good. And to me in particular, I hope it's the corners. I think at least two of those guys need to take a step. And some of them already played well. I think Fulton has already played well. Molden has already played well. But I think between those two, Farley and McCreary, two of them have to look not just like solid and promising, but like definitively very good players. Um, and I think if they can get that, then they have this nice core on the back end to build around, obviously with Bayard in there too. Um, and Hooker's also not, not bad at safety. So like, I think if they could get this fully established 
secondary with some of the pieces they also have up front. It would give them a little bit more cushion to rewire the offense next offseason. And I think that would kind of be a success in this transition piece for them. All I had written down was continued growth from some of their young players, which is weird to say about a team that had the number one seed in the AFC last year. But I I, I do (laughs) think that's where we are. Can you get out of this season feeling really good about Fulton and McCreary and maybe Traylon Burks by the end of the season and you stumble into something with Petit Frere as your your right tackle as a third-round pick? If that's where we are at the end of the year, I think it's a win for them. I, I think so far on the coaching side, they've deserved the benefit of the doubt. Mike Vrabel's ability to kind of keep this thing on the rails, even if you take a small step back this year, take the long view on this thing. That's totally fine. Guy on the Titans, you can't wait to watch. I mean, kind of on the same theme here, I'm really, really excited to see if Caleb Farley is like alive because <laughs> um, obviously he's had a lot of, uh, of injury issues. But coming out of college, like nobody is going to be Jalen Ramsey. But if you just look at him physically and athletically, like he was in that mold, just a tall, long, physical, super athletic corner. He was he was a little bit more raw than Ramsey, obviously, but like he looked incredibly promising in that mold. And injuries just kind of have not let him be that. And I think even if you watched him this preseason, like to me, when he had a point of contact on the receiver, whether that was uh, straight at the line of scrimmage where he's just pressing immediately, or if he can kind of settle down at the route break and, you know, somebody has like a slower route break and he can jam him, he looks good. When he has no point of contact, he looks really, really slow getting in and out of breaks. And so I'm just really hoping he can kind of show some life in that regard, because I think if he can prove to be a starting quality corner after some of the injuries he's had, that's a, a win for him. And I know you probably want more from that from your first round pick, but given his circumstances, I, I think that would be a nice win. I'm going with Molden. I, I just love the way they used him last year. What he can do as a blitzer and just how varied his game was early on. Him and Javon Holland coming in in the same draft class, which is very fun. I just love defensive backs that are just do shit guys. And they Molden's are two feisty, do shit man. guys. That's exactly I mean, those undersized. Like I just like getting in the mix. Players are very fun to me, and that's exactly what Molden is. Jacksonville Jaguars. How are we feeling about the Jags? I mean, just like just be serious, and I think they're going to be. So I, I, I guess good in in, in some way. <laughs> like I just they just need to be a serious football team, and if that if that still means six wins. If it looks serious and they're only losing because of talent deficit, that's fine. You're still, the roster's not there yet. You just have to look like adults, and I think they can be, so I feel nice. Adult is a word I wrote down and how I <laughs> felt about the Jags. I, here's my thing with the Jags. I feel better than I did a year ago, and, and that's yep, fine. Uh, yep. it, giving your quarterback a chance is such an important part of this formula, and I do think that they are going to give their quarterback a chance this year, even if they had to overspend to do it. When you look at the makeup of the roster, this is such a clear indication of what it's like when you just cannot draft for five years. It's truly brutal when you look at the draft classes and the impact that eventually has. When you trade guys like Jalen Ramsey and the haul that you get for it is C.J. Henderson, Clavin Chasen, and then LaVisca Chenault in the second round. That's your run of top 42 picks in in the second round of the 2020 draft. And all of those guys are either completely inconsequential or off the roster already that's how you get into this place that's how you spend 18 million dollars a year on christian kirk you have to start doing that and they're already slated to be over the cap next year the jaguars are the jaguars the team that was drafted first overall 
in the draft this season is slated to be over the 2023 cap. And they can get out from under some of those deals, right? Rashawn Jenkins, Roy Robertson-Harris, Shaq Griffin. But then you just get onto this cycle of overpay, disappoint, overpay, disappoint. You know, they have the space for the most part. And it's going to, but every, you know, you look at these guys, it's 3 million in dead money for Jenkins then, or 3 million dead money for Robertson-Harris, 3 million dead money for Griffin. And you just keep doing this. And I, I think that there's a way they break out of it, but right now it's just hard to be a really good team when you've had to build your roster in the way that they've had to build it. A hundred percent. And I think you hope that maybe, you know, Doug Peterson has some influence on, on maybe their drafting and they can draft a little bit better. But I also think you hope that if the offense looks good and Trevor looks good, you hope that that makes Jacksonville a more desirable destination for free agents so you're not constantly overpaying mid-tier players at least maybe you can overpay really good players that would be that would be an upgrade for what jacksonville's been over the past few years and it's not just the price tags either it's not just however many million dollars a year look at the guarantees in these deals they're going into year three with some of these guarantees and when you have players that probably aren't deserving of the contracts and then you're giving them guarantees into the third year of those contracts that's how you're living with this oh my god we have this many million in dead money tied up in what's his name? Like, how did that happen? It's because they're overpaying not just for the number that you see, but for the structure of the deal. Uh, it's just hurting them on so many different levels. And I think you're really seeing that kind of rear its head. And if you sign this guy and you keep winning four or five games, by the time you get to year three, is that guy going to even want to be <laughs> the, the best version of himself? But then you're stuck paying all this money. Like, it's just, like you said, it's it's a very bad cycle and you just, Pray that adults and, and Trevor Lawrence will, will change some of that. So that gets us to the, the biggest question you have about the offense. What is it? How are these weapons supposed to fit together? Because I think they very obviously upgraded. Beats me, man. The, yeah, like it's a really weird puzzle that I don't like. I don't like trying to put it together. Uh, like I think Evan Ingram is an upgrade, but also he's basically just Dan Arnold, but better, um, but not like significantly better. Um, I think Christian Kirk is obviously better than anyone they had last year, but to me, he's pretty much a slot only guy. And so I don't know what they're going to do outside because I think Marvin Jones is pretty disappointing last year. And I I don't have much reason to believe he's going to be that much better this year. He looks cooked. Yeah, he just looks like he's over (laughs) Uh, either Jacksonville or playing football or both. (laughs) Um, So, I mean... I just don't understand how these pieces are supposed to fit together is really the weird thing. And with Christian Kirk, I, his best work is done as a slot receiver. When he was moved yeah. into the slot full-time in Arizona, it's the best version you saw of him. What did Doug Peterson do a ton of in Philadelphia? 12 personnel. This team has the multiple 12, tight no ends. <laughs> so if you don't have a slot receiver and Christian Kirk is best in the slot, then it's there's a disjointed element to the way that all the pieces fit together. I'm totally with you. So now you're looking at a team that, all right, let's do this. What is the best group of pass catchers that the Jacksonville Jaguars can put on the field together right now in your mind? Oh, Jesus. Uh, I mean, it's got to be like Christian Kirk, Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram. I mean, <laughs> like figuring out four and five, I think is kind of impossible for me because <laughs> I really, I don't want Dan Arnold on the field for basically any reason. Um, and then sorting out like how you make the other receivers work, I think, is really, really tricky. It so, probably like, involves Zay Jones. It has to, and right? Christian but Kirk the on the thing, outside together. But that's the other thing with Zay Jones. It's like Zay Jones is 
also mostly a slot guy. He earned, I think, close to 60% of his targets from the slot last year. So he does have some some work outside. But, like, again, it's like Kirk. You probably want him in the slot. But, one, you can only have one slot guy. And, two, Peterson is probably just not going to have as many slot snaps to go around as a lot of other offenses unless he it has changed. And that's entirely possible. But until we see it, how are we supposed to know that? So you have questions about the weapons. The offensive line, I have questions about that. You know, I don't know who decided that we needed to give Cam Robinson this contract, by the way. I, it, it <laughs> I don't know if anyone people were beating down the door to, to pay him what they paid him. And they also drafted Walker Little in the second round. So he's just kind of hanging out now. I guess he's potentially your Jawan Taylor replacement after this season because Taylor's going to be a free agent. But it's another early round pick that you're not getting much out of for multiple years. So Luke Fortner is going to step in, I think, as their starting center. They drafted him in the third round. They side Brandon Scherf, obviously. Ben Barch, who played for them a decent amount last year with AJ Cannon being hurt, I think is going to flip sides. But again, some moving pieces up front. It's not a great unit. I think that Trevor Lawrence did a fantastic job last year of mitigating some of their issues in pass protection, which really was his best trait as a rookie. You watch quarterbacks in a way that very few people do. Where do you want to see tangible bits of improvement from Trevor Lawrence, even if we have concerns about the ceiling of a supporting guest? I would say, honestly, he feels in a lot of ways kind of like a younger, uh, a young version of Stafford in a lot of ways where like his worst plays are very clearly like he's trying to do some cool shit because he feels like he has to. Like that's the only way that the offense is going to function. And I think last year that was simply true. Like that was the only way the offense was going to function was him doing the absolute highest level stuff. And he can do it. It's just. When you're a rookie, you're not going to be able to do it all the time. And so I think for him, it's just like figuring out how to walk that line a little bit better. And then I think I would like to see the accuracy a little more consistent. I don't think he's inaccurate. It's just that there are a couple of throws a game that he he probably should be hitting that he he's not. Um, and I think he can get there. I think he's going to get there. Um, but that would probably be the two things is I think just increase the accuracy a little bit. Um, just the consistency, because I think like his peak accuracy, like just in terms of hitting some insane windows or knowing how to lead guys on yak, knowing how to throw away from a linebacker's leverage, like he gets that he knows how to do it. There's just a couple of times where I think maybe he rushes himself and, and, and the ball doesn't come out the way that he wants to. So I would just say those two things, learning how to walk the line a little bit better, which I will say getting Doug Peterson in the room. I think he's, he's going to figure out how to walk that line a little bit better. And I, I think he's always going to be a little on the aggressive side, the same way that Luck was, truthfully. Like, Luck, I think, was a brilliant player, but he was always pushing the limit of what was possible. And, and 80% of the time, he did something unfathomable. You Then you had 20% of the times where he was throwing, like, 18 interceptions. That's just how he was. And I think Trevor is kind of that way. And so I think it's not really necessarily, like, m- taking away all the aggression. It's just making sure you can capitalize on, on all the good stuff, making sure the good plays really count. Channeling it. And, and I think that Doug Peterson yeah. is the right bet for someone who can try to channel that stuff. Biggest yeah. question about the Jags defense. I would say Travin Walker, just how are they going to use him? It is kind of my question because I think he's a very talented player. Um, but to me coming out of Georgia, he was more somebody who 
you ideal the way you want to play him is you play him inside out as opposed to like an outside in mm-hmm. player. Um, I think you want to get him either head up on a tackle or head up on a guard in the B gap, something like that. You want to use him that way as much as possible. The problem is they just don't have other edge talent. Josh Allen, uh, you know, as the other starter, I think is a, a pretty good starter on the other end and actually a really good compliment to Walker, truthfully, because he's more of kind of like a speed bend mm-hmm. um, type of guy. So I do think the pairing there is good. It's just like, because they have no other edge player, like their third is probably Kalev and Chason, who I, I'm going to be a hater for a second. That's not an NFL player to me. <laughs> like some of what he did last year was just, I don't know what was going on. Um, like the bend for a 240 pound guy is just not there, which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so I think it's, it's just kind of like, how are they going to be able to make Walker work when he's very clearly to me going to have to play a little bit out of position? Um, I think he can be good. I think it's just a, a question to me. How all the pieces fit together? Uh, you yeah. look at the guys that they drafted. This team has ten thousand linebackers. Which how, how those <laughs> we don't know who them is good. We don't know if any of them are good. <laughs> I can understand if you look at where Mike Caldwell, their new defensive coordinator, comes from. Comes from Tampa. Look at what they did in Tampa over the last few years. Blitz heavy. Like let's just turn it up all the time. And Lloyd is a good blitzer, right? He's got length. That's the way that you want to use him. I can understand that fit. So I just assume we're going to see a lot of this shit that we saw in Tampa over the last couple of years where they're bringing a ton of heat from the second level and they're playing a lot of zone behind it. And how does the secondary shake out and how do you get the most out of those front seven guys that you either drafted very high or you paid a lot of money in the case of Foye Aluakon? And that's how they should be because I don't think they have enough talent in the secondary to just be like, Go play ball. I think Tyson Campbell is a promising player in the secondary, but that's probably not enough. I think basically all of their best players are up front. I think Josh Allen um, is, like I said, really good. Trayvon Walker is supposed to be really inspiring for them. Um, Devin Lloyd, I was not the highest on coming out, but like just in terms of his peaks and his athleticism, they are really good. And you do want to use that as a blitzer as much as possible. So I think they should be about, they should be one of the more aggressive defenses in the league. And just pray to God that they can get enough disruption to make the secondary not look that bad. You're not excited about their secondary? I totally understandable. Where do you think the Jags rank in a cap allocation to their secondary? Uh, I mean, other than Campbell, I'm not sure they have that many young players. So it ha- I'm going to go like eighth. I don't know. It's third. Oh my, How? <laughs> Behind the, Where's the money? Behind the Broncos and the Ravens. They've paid everyone. Every <laughs> single one of those guys. Shaq Griffin, Rayshon Jenkins, and Darius Williams are all on sizable free agent contracts. All three of them are. The only teams that are spending more dollars against the cap on their secondary this season in the NFL than the Jacksonville Jaguars are the Denver Broncos and the Baltimore Ravens. All of those guys to me are like... If that is the worst guy in your starting five, in- individually, if that's the worst guy in your, you know, random starting five, you can be okay. The problem is that they're starting all three of these guys. <laughs> that's not a wonderful place to be, especially when the other two starters they're going to have are Tyson Campbell, who I do like and I think is a promising young player, but still very young. We don't know how good he's going to be. And then Andre Sisco, I think, is starting at safety, who he does some good stuff, but he is a volatile player. He is a ball hawk, and I don't know if he's fully honed those senses yet. I think he's going to be a very boomer bust player for them, which I guess is their front is going to be insane, and they're going to generate a bunch of pressure. That could actually be really good, but it's one of those things until we see it in action. 
I just, I don't know, man. Andre Sisco's goal this year has to be to play well enough that Urban Meyer knows who he is by the time the season is over. <laughs> All right. What is the successful know if Urban Meyer's going to watch any football. <laughs> he's not going to watch any college football, and he's actually tasked with talking about it every single week. Successful season for the Jags. What does it look like? I mean, to me, if they can just get to like six, maybe seven wins, and kind of like I said at the beginning, if it just is clear that the reason they're losing is talent deficit and not just being utterly incompetent in every facet of coaching, I think that's a win because then you have uh, you just have something to build on. And then, you know, you could lump Trevor, you know, taking a step forward into there. But I truthfully, I'm just taking that for granted. I think that's just going to happen. So I think if they can get to six, seven wins, look like a respectable coaching staff, that's a win because they are coming off of what is, at least in my lifetime, maybe the most catastrophic one-year coaching thing I've ever seen. I have nothing to add to that. I think that's exactly right. I, I do. I have a little bit more doubt about Lawrence than you do. I'm not just penciling it in. So I do think that him taking a significant step is part of what that success looks like in my mind. But all the other stuff, I totally agree. Guy in the Jags, you're most excited to watch this year. I mean, besides Trevor? Yeah, besides I think Trevor is the answer. Yeah, Trevor is like, don't even have to think about it. Uh, I would say Travis Etienne. Because um, obviously, you know, he, he missed uh, last year with injury. But I think he is a guy who this offense desperately, desperately, desperately needs a guy who if you just give him the ball, he can make a play. They did not have that last year. They haven't had it for a while. They hopefully. have no other guys like that. They have none. And it kind of sucks that that guy has to be your running back, especially a running back who truthfully, I don't know how many between the tackles carries he can take. But at least in terms of a guy who can bounce plays and, and catch passes out of the backfield and be explosive that way, I think he can definitely do that. And I really want to see it because I think, yeah, like I said, like he's really the only guy where I think if you get him the ball in his hand, defenses are scared that an explosive play could happen. All the other guys, maybe they can get open for the catch and stuff, but like they're just not going to be this explosive play threat all the time. ETN, I think, can be that. You just want to see it, especially coming back from injury. After everything you just said, the fact that the running back is the only player on the roster who, when you get the ball in his hands, the defense is scared that he can make an explosive play. Where do you think the Jacksonville Jaguars rank in cap allocation to wide receivers in 2022? I mean, at this point, they've got to also be top five there, right? Like the money they gave to Kirk, they paid Jones the year before. They're Well, they're paying another Jones this year. I mean, I mean, shoot, they might be first. <laughs> they're fourth. Okay. <laughs> just, ahead, I mean, just ahead of the like, Los Angeles Rams. Oh my God! It's this is how you get I here. Just don't get I know. It. I know. I'm making jokes. This is how you get here. It's when you have these position groups that are the third most expensive, the fourth most expensive, consistently in the top five compared to every other team in the league, and we don't have any players as part of those position groups that we're really excited about. That's just how you hit this ceiling as a team when you have to build this way, and that's where the Jags are. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs. 
sort of like your meats and other toppings, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, speaking of teams that are a little bit disappointing, Houston Texans. How are we feeling about the Texans a couple days before the season kicks off? Honestly, not really good or bad, just boring. Like, I just, I just, this feels to me like a pencil in six, seven wins team. I don't think they're particularly exciting on either side of the ball. There are a couple of exciting players, but just as like an overall idea of the offense or defense, not really moving the needle for me. It's kind of just the, they're just a their kind of team. I'm just confused. I, I just yeah. I don't really understand it. I would love to hear them articulate what the short terms goal, what the short term goals for the franchise are. Every time I think about it, it, gets weirder to me that Lovey Smith is the head coach of this team. Every single time I think about it for more than ten seconds, I'm like, wait, what? How? And the way he got there, yes. like it just it just that is the more confusing part to me. Actually, is that they they give Coley Coley was a fine head coach, like given the horrific circumstances he was fine but then they fire him they go on this weird search and then they're like now nah, we're just gonna hire the, in- the in-house guy what how does that happen lovey smith is 64 years old the last two times that he was an offense or that he was a head coach one was in college it did not go well the other was when he was in tampa it, it was so bad that i think people have like expunged it from their minds and they just think of him as the former Bears head coach. Lovey Smith was a head coach between the time that he was the coach of the Bears and the job he has right now. It didn't last very long, and it was a nightmare, especially on defense for the Bucks. So it's such a strange choice. How they arrived at it is so strange. Like, what, what are you trying to do? I guess you're just having him keep the seat warm and keep you competitive and try to build some sort of culture and he'll, until he gets replaced in a year or two. Is that harsh? Because that's kind of what it feels like to me. No, but I mean, and that's what's weirder is that that's also kind of what it seemed like they were doing with Cole. Yes. Like, I just don't un- like, and at that point, if that's what you're doing love with Lovey, then why even fire Coley in the first place? Yes. Like, well, I think it it's because they wanted Josh McCown to be the coach and then he couldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, there's uh, the I, I'm going to be honest with you. I totally forgot the Josh McCown thing. And now my brain is like completely sputtering. <laughs> Let's get to the offense. The biggest question that you have about the Houston Texans offense. Um, I I am very curious to see if they can open up things uh, schematically. Because actually, I am not a very big Davis Mills um, proponent. But I will say he looked competent enough that like I get why they are doing this again. What I will say is when you watch the offense back, it felt very clear to me that so much of what they were doing was like... Their biggest question every week, how do we get extra guys into pass protection? Whether it was going split back, whether it was having extra tight ends on the field to go, um, you know, full max protect, 
That was their biggest question every week is how do we get more guys in pass protection? And I really would be curious to see like, how does Davis Mills operate if they can open it up a little bit more and not have to consistently focus the offense around like, how do we not get our quarterback killed? If they can maybe do a little bit more, open up the drop back a little bit more. I would like to see what Davis Mills can do. I'm not particularly confident that he will be great, but I at least think he should be given a shot. Um, and I kind of just want to see it. I'll fight back against myself and say, I'm not sure they added enough receiver talent to like really fix that problem either and really open things up there. But um, that's really my biggest question is like, can they do anything different and better for, for Mills? The offensive line was a nightmare last season. Some of oh that is God. injury. Laramie Tunsil played five games, but you have guys that got significant time for them. I mean, like Max Sharping was a starter for this team last year. They released him. Oh my God. They, I mean, they lost him on waivers this year. And they all the guys that are backups for them were starters for them last year. They brought in two new guards with drafting Kenyon Green in the first round. They signed AJ Cannon free agency. He's looked okay in the preseason, you know, a year removed from injury. So we'll see what they get out of him. The offensive line was an absolute nightmare. The rushing stats are horrifying. Dead last in rushing success rate, dead last in EPA per rush, 0.77 yards before contact per rush, okay? That was last in the league for some context. The Eagles are at 2.26. The Eagles averaged three times as many yards before contact on their average runs than the Texans did last season. They, they were DOA every single time they tried to run the ball partially because of their offensive line, partially because the running back core was a nightmare. Damian Pierce looks pretty damn fun. I'm excited to see what he looks like behind a retooled offensive line. And can they push the ball? 38.8% of Davis Mills' completions last year, according to Football Outsiders, went for 10 yards or less. Only Big Ben, Jared Goff, and Tua were worse. And you'd hope that if the pass protection is a little bit better, they can open this up a little bit. I agree that they didn't really add pass catchers in the way that you might hope, but I think Cooks and Collins has a chance to be okay. You know, now they signed OJ Howard. It's just such a weird team. To me, the big question after all of this is, can Davis Mills be the guy? Like, I don't, yep. not confident he can be. Like, it would be such an outlier if he is. But if you could stumble into that guy in the third round, in the first draft that you've done when you didn't have a first or second round pick, that is a massive, massive win. Exactly. Like, I'm not sure he can be either, but like, it's really hard to not look horrific as a rookie quarterback, especially given the circumstances. Yes. And he didn't look horrific. Like, that should at least warrant you a second chance, especially when you're on a team that very clearly is not going anywhere this year anyway. Um, so like I said earlier, like, yeah, I at least want to see them give him chances. And I actually really do like the pairing of, uh, Cooks and Collins as, as outside receivers. I think, you know, Cooks, you can kind of move him around a little bit. He can play in the slot a little bit. He can be your speed guy. Collins is kind of a traditional X, you know, he's not like a traditional X in the sense of like you feed him the ball all the time, but just in terms of the routes he runs, a lot of comebacks, a lot of sideline stuff, curls, slants, fades, all that sort of stuff. He can do all that to a decent degree when he's your number two behind Cooks. To me, it's just like, what are they doing in the slot? Because last year, truthfully, they just didn't play with a slot receiver last year a lot. Like they ran a lot of 12 and 13 personnel. And I think that was probably, well, one earlier, like I said, they just, they needed guys to be in pass protection. I think that was part of it. But also, I'm just not sure they trusted who they had in the slot. And so I'm curious to see, even though they didn't add a whole lot of talent, I'm curious to see if they feel a little bit better about their slot talent this year, and that can maybe help change some of what they do on offense. All right, 
Biggest question about the Houston Texans defense this year. So to me, it's like, can they kind of rush the passer now? And I really mean that as like a good question because last year, I don't think they were a horrible pass rushing unit. I think they got more from Jonathan Greener than they probably thought they were going to. Um, but it's just outside of him. I don't think they had enough. But when you look at what they did this offseason, I mean, they added Ogbonio, uh, Okorunkwo from the Rams, who I thought was like a pretty good, um, you know, third guy for them. He's stepping into a starting role, which that's kind of interesting to me. I don't know how he's going to handle it, but I think it is still a talent addition that they absolutely needed. And then they also brought in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, who, again, I'm not sure they're starters in, in the year 2022. I don't know if they have that. But if those are your two guys coming off the bench... I still think that kind of gives you a pretty good, you know, some good juice off the bench, especially when that's your second guy. So I kind of think that they're going to have a decent pass rushing rotation. And I kind of just want to see it in action and see if that helps facilitate some of the younger talent that they have in the secondary. And if that can help those guys really be the players that we think they're going to be. In my notes, it literally just says, I think the pass rush can be okay, exclamation point. It can, like, right? (laughs) Like, I was looking at it today and I was like, I didn't think I liked it this much, but like they can be kind of annoying. <laughs> it is a deeply weird collection of players. Yes. Like how this group was assembled is bizarre. Jerry Hughes yeah. and Mario Addison are in their mid thirties. Jonathan Greenard was this mid round pick from the last regime that could not draft anyone. Malik Collins was pretty good for them last year. I think Rasheem Green is actually a pretty decent player like all of the guys that they have it's like okay like I don't really understand what this ultimately means but right now I think it's a pretty good group and then you have all these young guys on the back end and what can they get out of them I when I look at the defense it's especially evident they have no players like they that when they when this group took over when Nick Casario took this thing over they had no players Three of the final four drafts of the Bill O'Brien era, they drafted a defensive player in the second round, okay? Bill O'Brien got fired in 2020. This is recent stuff. None of those guys are on the roster anymore. Zach Cunningham, Lonnie Johnson, Ross Blacklock. All three of those second round picks drafted from 2018 through 2020 are no longer on the roster anymore. This team had no players. Even in the first draft that Nick Casario got to oversee, they didn't have a first or second round pick. So they didn't have any players and they didn't have any picks. When we talk about the Seahawks on tomorrow's show, I think we're going to talk about a team that has transitioned smoothly and is kind of able to pivot from one to the next in a way that's pretty clean. And you can do that in the NFL if you're set up that way. The Texans were not set up that way. So now you got Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley and some weird old pass rushers. And at the end of the season, if you're like, we like the guys we have on the back end, these are two players that we think will be on the team in three years, that is a win because that is where this franchise is right now. All right, what does success look like for the Texans? I think I just kind of alluded to it, but... Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just... If they can get... I mean, it's basically the same thing as the Jaguars, actually. It's just like, get to six or seven wins, have some of your young players look like something, and then especially... Davis Mills, if he can look like a player worth keeping and not having to invest, uh, you know, draft picks. Because honestly, I don't think this Houston roster is bad enough to like fully bottom out. I mean, they could, um, especially if like Davis Mills doesn't really take a next step. I think it's possible, but I think this roster is probably good enough to they'll end up with like the eighth pick or, or something. And at that point, you would probably have to trade up for the quarterback you want. 
if they can avoid having to do that and Davis Mills looks like he's worth keeping around, I think that would be a pretty big win for them. I think that would be really significant. The, the Mills thing is a bonus to me. I don't think it needs to happen for this to be considered a success. If they get to the end of the season and Davis Mills is their quarterback of the future, more power to you guys. Well done. But if they don't, that's totally fine. If they feel really good about Petrie and Stingley and you know, Nico Collins flashes with a little bit more time to actually throw the ball down the field, all of that stuff, that's completely fine. Uh, this is like stage two of 50 for where this team needs to be over the next couple of years. And that's okay. That's not meant as a criticism. This was such a deep hole for them to dig out of, the deepest that I can even think about. To have so few resources and to have absolutely no talent is really, really difficult. And that's where this team was. And we're at the very nascent stages of a long, long rebuilding process. And if you stumbled into a couple young defensive players at the beginning of that, good for you guys. 100%. All right. One guy you cannot wait to watch on the Texans this year. I want to say Derek Stingley, but like truthfully, I just think he's so good. I kind of am like, that's going to be good. And I've watched the preseason and like, he looks like he's supposed to look, man. Like he's just, every time they played man coverage, but truthfully, they didn't do enough. Like they still ran a lot of cover two in the preseason, which I'm a little bit worried about. Um, But Stingley looked like the guy. I'm really interested to see how they're able to use Jalen Petrie Um, because I think he also looked really good, but like. I think it would be a real disservice if they continue to just play like a cover two heavy uh, system with him because I think Petrie can do anything. Maybe he's not the most ideal like free safety um, in the center field, but like everything else in terms of putting him in the box, blitzing him, matching him up against tight ends. Like I think this dude is so smart. He's so athletic. The way he clicks and closes is bonkers. And he's, he's a little gremlin, man. Like honestly, if you watch the Baylor defense, that entire defense, insane people. Every linebacker, every safety, every defensive tackle on that defense, insane people. So I think that is, you know, typically you wouldn't want to draft Baylor defenders like four or five years ago. Currently, you should probably do that because I think they know what they're doing. And I think Petrie is the best product they've had out of there. So I'm really interested to see what he, he's able to do for this defense. God, a little gremlins. That is the Baylor defense under Dave <laughs> I had to throw one in. I had to throw one in. All right. I'm going to say Stingley. I just, I, I can't wait to see what he is. And I, I do hope they let him play a, a lot more man coverage than this team played last year. The second half of last season, though, they transitioned away from a lot of the cover two stuff. I think it's because they felt like they couldn't fit the run if they didn't do that. But they were a little bit more flexible than I thought before I started digging into the numbers. So hopefully we get a little bit of Derek Stingley in man coverage. All right, buddy. That's all we got. Thank you very, very much for doing this dumpster dive with me. (laughs) Wouldn't want it any other way. Guys, please, if you could, subscribe to The Athletic Football Show on YouTube. There's a link in our show description. We are doing a ton more video stuff this year. Please get on board for that as we kick things off. We've got a lot of ideas that I'm pretty excited about. Also, we are doing a picks contest on The Athletic Football Show this year on Run Your Pool. The link to that is also in the show description got like four or 500 people have already signed up. We would love to crank that number up. Please jump in. We'll be talking about that every single week, checking in on just how awful Nate and I are doing. Five picks against the spread. We'll talk about how well some of you guys are doing. There are prizes involved. A lot of fun stuff. So please get in the mix on that. We will be back tomorrow with Deontay previewing the NFC West. Until then, I appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.